it's just having a really thoughtful, caring hand in the vineyard. So it's leaf pooling, doing everything by hand, making sure that the clusters are exposed to sun and wind and approaching the vineyard as part of this whole system of life. And we're not just trying to force it, but to really care for the vineyard and this farm, the whole organism, instead of just trying to get it to do like one thing that we want it to do. You're listening to the Good Dirt Podcast. This is a place where we dig into the nitty gritty of sustainable living through food, fashion, and lifestyle. And we're your hosts, Mary and Emma Kingsley, the mother and daughter founder team of Lady Farmer. We're sowing seeds of slow living through our community platform, events, and online marketplace. We started this podcast as a means to share the wealth of information and quality conversations that we're having in our world as we dream up and deliver ways for each of us to live into the new paradigm, one that is regenerative, balanced, and whole. We want to put the microphone in front of the voices that need to be heard the most right now. The farmers, the dreamers, the designers, and the doers. So come cultivate a better world with us. We're so glad you're here. Now, let's dig in. Emma. Want to tell our listeners what we're up to in the Almanac this month? Yes, but first I'll tell anyone who's new to The Good Dirt. First of all, welcome. Welcome to The Good Dirt. We're Lady Farmer, Mary and Emma, mother-daughter duo. And we have an online community called The Almanac, which is just like everything you could want for your guide to slow living through the seasons online. We have different monthly seasonal themes, monthly activities. We do online gatherings. We have a book club. It's really fun and we'd love to have you there. And we have ongoing discussions on a number of topics and articles and just so much. And a membership in the Almanac not only gets you all of this great content and community, but it helps support this podcast. So if you enjoy our weekly exploration of all things sustainable living here on The Good Dirt, consider joining the Almanac to help us keep it going, even if you don't think you're likely to be taking advantage of all the offerings. Don't be surprised, though, if you get in there and you get hooked. We've got some pretty awesome things going on. Yeah, and the theme for this winter is dream. And we've got a group activity going that's all about focusing on your dreams, as in hopes and dreams by not only looking at all the dreams you've already accomplished but by paying attention to your sleeping dreams and your daydreams and taking the cues from your deeper self on how to move in the direction of the life that you want it's really cool and I'm so excited to dig into all of yeah me too and all of you listeners out there if you have any dreams of your own and who doesn't you are invited to come join us in this fun exploration and everything else we've got going on in the almanac speaking of dreams our guests today have a dream come true story of their own yeah today we've got sisters lisa hinton and ashley johnson winemaker and general manager respectively who along with their brother drew baker the farmer own and operate Old Westminster Winery on the family farm in Maryland. Yes, this is a story of a family getting together and creating a vision for preserving their farm and putting the land to work. With this dream as their focus, they became captivated by the idea of planting a vineyard, and they all agreed that growing and making wine that reflected their land through a vineyard 
was an idea that was worth pursuing. So what began in 2009 when the family decided to explore the idea of growing and making wine on the family land became a mission to craft distinctive wines with a sense of place. In the spring of 2011, they planted their first 7,600 grapevines, bottled their first wines in the spring of 2013, and opened the winery to guests two months later. Today, they cultivate and produce 30,000 bottles of wine annually. We really love talking with these two ladies and hearing how this family pulled together with the goal of caring for their own corner of the world and creating a vibrant, sustainable community that supports the land and the people. It's really a great good dirt story, isn't it, Emma? It is, and it's also really great wine. Yeah. Delicious. (laughs) I wish we had a bottle right now. Yeah. (laughs) But with that, we will turn it over now to Lisa and Ashley of Old Westminster Winery, and we'll let them tell their side of the story. Yeah. Enjoy. I'm Ashley. I'm Lisa. (laughs) And we are two of three siblings that operate and make wines for Old Westminster Winery. Uh, We are a winery located in Westminster, Maryland on uh, 17 acres here. And it's a farm that we grew up on. uh, So we love the property. And on the tail end of 2008, we were looking at ways to put the property back to use. It was a retired juniper nursery when my parents bought it in the late 90s. So we were looking at means. My dad's a carpenter by trade. My mom is a nurse. And the housing market crisis of 2008, we actually were at a crossroads with the farm. We had put the farm up for sale in 2008 and had no interest of anyone coming to look at the property to purchase it. My dad, who is a carpenter, was out of work for about two years. And so very practical conversations of how, what we could do with the property and the farm itself led to us all kind of putting our minds together and realizing that we had to come together and put the farm to use in some way. And so my sister was in school as a a chemistry major. Yeah. Yeah. Chemistry. Yeah. Drew was business management. Our brother and I was in uh, school for marketing. And so we were just looking at ways to put the farm to use. And my mom had read a Washington post article of global wine going more local and how interesting wine was being made in many places throughout the U S and she basically pitched the idea to us of why not us? We can make really awesome wines together. And so we did some research in the subsequent years and decided the three of us basically would write off uh, several years of our early lives to live at (laughs) home and work the land together. And so we did, we planted the vineyard in 2011 and we've been farming about 10,000 grapevines here at Old Westminster in Northern Maryland. We just passed uh, our 10 year anniversary for the farm here for growing grapes. And we've been inviting people to the farm to come enjoy those wines at our tasting room for six years. We just had our six year anniversary in November of the tasting room opening. Wow. Oh my gosh. That's such an awesome story. (laughs) The whole family's involved. I love that. For sure. (laughs) Yeah. And everybody lives there is like a family compound. Totally. Yes. Since in the last decade, we've all been married and we live 
live close by, but yes, we grew up here. We lived here when we planted the vineyard. My dad, who is a carpenter and who was during that time period and is, has been literally the hands and feet of the business of building the winery when we first had to put up that small building. Mm-hmm. He also built like the tasting room, the farmhouse mm-hmm. that's here on the property. So everything has been built by hand and everything is still that way. So I'm, my mom is obviously a nurse. She's very hospitable. So <laughs> she was a big part of that early stages of just welcoming people to the farm and and having that kind of hostess with the mostess attitude. <laughs> oh my gosh, that sounds so wonderful. So when you started, what was your mindset starting out at the beginning? Were you like, it was a weird time, obviously everything was kind of crashed and it felt like there weren't a ton of options anyway. So you were like, well, I guess we'll try this for a little while and see what happens. Or were you guys like, we're going to be doing this. We're going to be celebrating in 10 years. We'll be celebrating, you know, like, did you know kind of the longevity? Was there a layout plan sort of? I think in general, we knew that we wanted to do this long-term. I don't know that we like set milestones for, you know, from five years from now, this is what Mm -hmm. we want from 10 years. We kind of just started taking care of this land and really wanting to like shepherd our little slice of the planet. And it's awesome that we got to do that together. I don't think that we looked at it and said like, this is going to be like our big grand idea for what has been with the farm, but it's been really fun to look back now. We talk about this all the time. We don't look back often enough. You know, we're so Mm -hmm. like focused on what we're going to do in the future, what the next year looks like, how we're going to grow in certain ways, but it's just really cool to look back over the past 10 years and see, you know, the things that change and how we took care of things and, you know, the people that have joined our lives. And yeah, it's just been a really fun journey. I can definitively say that it outgrew my parents' vision. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) They no longer live at this house either. Uh, This is now the office space and it's a very busy place just because the tasting room, everything is on this property. So it was built around this place. So yes, I certainly think the small family business that the heart of it was to be good stewards of the land and, you know, save the farm on the tail end of 2008. I think that that quickly outgrew that smaller vision of just, you know, creating wines to share with our community and the community has just grown. So it's now not only local, but we also do the distribution and have a a growing wine club membership of about 2000 members. And oh my gosh, wow. It certainly has outgrown what I think we first thought it would be, but I don't think we had kind of a 10 year milestone or a 20 year milestone. I think we're starting to think in those ways, but at the time it was mostly of just a, a preservation in a way that we could do something together that reflected something that meant so much to us, which was the property that we grew up on. And we were all three just graduating college. So I think to three college students, making wine and sharing that with our friends sounded really fun at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So you said it was a juniper nursery before. And was that your parents' business? I guess my question is like, how involved in like farming, farming were you guys previous to the your we're, project. We're first generation farmers. Okay. So, so yeah, when my parents bought the juniper nursery, we it was being leased by another farmer. And then we had horses here. My brother had like a little dirt bike track hobby here as well. My parents didn't farm the nursery. They had kind of just leased it out. And then we all went to college. And when we decided to start the vineyard is when we were, we really like buckled down and started doing our homework on what farming meant to us and how to do it <laughs> and what was important to us. I'm really curious about what was the state of of the soil after being a, a juniper nursery. Did y'all have to mediate that? Or I guess the word is remediate. 
soil. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The kind of positive of the juniper nursery, which my parents did not know, but was much foreshadowing at the time was that juniper shrubs, they're, they're tree shrubs. They like well-drained soil and a lot of sunshine. Mm-hmm. And so our soil type was actually pretty conducive to a vine style that prefers dry soil than a lot of nutrients and a lot of water. So that was not something we knew at the time, but we've also learned a lot more since we planted that initial 7,600 grapevines in soil mending and health. We've done a lot of research and have learned a lot. So we certainly did our homework at the time of what style wines we wanted to make, what grape varieties, what varieties we felt were suited to this region, but also Maryland's a young wine region in general. So looking towards neighboring vineyards and who's growing what, those are also like, there is at the time, 10 years ago, when we planted our vineyard, there was 34 wineries in Maryland. Today, there's over 94 licensed wineries. So it's more than tripled just in the state of Maryland in the last decade, in 10 years. So we've learned a lot over 10 years and we've also pioneered a lot in our industry. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. A little bit about, I mean, obviously we're not standing there in your tasting room or walking through the vineyard, but maybe to the person who's listening, what's kind of your elevator pitch of the things you're growing and working on? And I'm really interested in hearing about some of those things that you've pioneered, as you just mentioned. Sure. Yeah, of course. I think the biggest style difference of our production is Lisa started making wine when she was 22 22. yeah (laughs) 22 years old so her chemistry background kind of like married chemistry and just art and experimentation and because we are first generation we had a lot of questions of just like why people did certain things the way that they did and so early on I think that we through our kind of curiosity of why people treated wine a certain way or why the handbook given out to winemakers had certain X's and O's rather than this wine is really good the way it is. Like, why do we have to fine or filter it before we put it in a bottle? Or why do you have to treat the vineyard in a certain way or have this spray cycle? I think that we just had a lot of questions based on our infancy of knowledge that led us to more of this minimalistic approach, which now in today's day and age is more of a trendy, like natural wine production. Um, It's more deemed a style of production. But for us, that was early like adaptation of just not knowing a ton about the industry. So would you say you sort of fell into that natural wine thing unintentionally or? Yeah, I mean, like Ashley just mentioned in our first couple of years, you know, we were kind of given like from everybody else that was in the industry, this is how things go. This is how you grow grapes. This is how you make wine. And like she said, it's kind of like a handbook. And then over the years, you start to ask the questions like, why are we doing it this way? Why are we growing these varieties? Why Mm -hmm. are we using these sprays? Why are we making wine this certain way? And it was through that thought process and through the experimentation and a lot of trial and error that we were really kind of able to develop a style and also making wines, natural wine, low input, however you want to say it. Those are also the style of wines that we truly enjoy. So that's really important to us that we're making wines that are a pleasure to drink and that we're really drawn to. For sure. Yeah. And when you're tasting these wines that we are harvesting the grapes here they're fermenting on the property. We're hand bottling them. We are pouring them for people, you know, on the property. They come to the farm to taste these wines. We feel very confident in the wines themselves that Lisa's making with sharing those wines that are so alive and vibrant without having to have so many like intermediate steps of trying to protect the wine or stabilize the wine or 
do all mm-hmm. of these typical, like just the normal things that people would had mentioned that you should do early on. And we were like, Lisa would love the wines after they fermented mm-hmm. and that's how they tasted. And we wanted to capture that. So yeah, I think that early on, Lisa, just specifically as the winemaker, like the wines reflect her, which is fun, vibrant, they're intentional, and they're just, they really reflect the place that they're grown as well. How have you found yourself dealing with like pests and uh, funguses or whatever, and trying to minimize the inputs there? That's a great question. And Drew does a lot of our farming. Um, he's our brother and our third sibling. <laughs> so he always says, and I think it's just so true, is that um, sun and wind are nature's antibiotics. Yeah. And it's just... Gosh, it couldn't be more true. So it's just having a really thoughtful, caring hand in the vineyard. So it's, you know, leaf pooling, doing everything by hand, making sure that the clusters are exposed to sun and wind and just doing everything that we can and and kind of approaching the vineyard as part of this whole system of life. And we're not, you know, just trying to force it to do one thing that we want it to do, but to really care for, you know, the vineyard and this farm, the whole organism, organism, Mm -hmm. instead of just trying to get it to do like one thing that we want it to do. Yeah, that's so fascinating. How about when things totally just don't work was it last year 2020 about that really that light frost, frost in oh, yeah. like mother's day there's a few wineries around us and it totally like decimated all of their stuff how did you guys yeah. do with that yeah i mean it is farming and and with it you know every year has its challenges whether it's frost whether it's getting close to harvest and it's pouring down rain yeah. those are things that you really don't have That's a say sometimes in. you just hold your breath in that yeah. frost of 2020 like we totally were it by some miracle we really do not know how we were nearly unaffected by that because several wineries within an hour of our farm here and even our new vineyard Burnt Hill in Montgomery County which is only 30 minutes south of us Mm. we actually had more frost there and much more relatively high vineyard location and so typically frost settles to low points Mm -hmm. Uh, and so we were really surprised to find that like this vineyard site here where our 10 year old vines are and and very susceptible to frost damage we had barely any so at some point it's also just a matter of circumstances and and we didn't have that effect but we are not in the vineyard with fire pits or big fans um, Mm -hmm. in early spring certain things are just out of our control Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. You know, I sometimes just the very, very slight variations in the lay of the land can make a big difference. You know, it could be little pockets where the temperatures just went one degree higher or something, but that's amazing. I'm so glad y'all didn't suffer from that. Like Emma was saying, a lot of our neighbors, yeah, yeah, they had to really scramble around and yeah, a lot of the orchards locally did as well. Just mm-hmm. other fruit bearing trees and things like that had mm-hmm. some, had, it was a tough year for sure. So I did read on your website that you guys these numbers I don't know if these have changed but it's like about 50% of like estate grown stuff and then you source from other Maryland wineries is that generally like still the case are you do you have any plans to go like 100% estate grown or like what's that look like (laughs) uh it's tough to kind of like pull back on that now because we're really not as producing as much wine as we could sell so to get rid of not to not work with all of those other vineyards would be would be really really tough but we also like from the very beginning have worked with those other growers and we just really feel like it's such a privilege to be able to show what Maryland grapes can make into wine as like a whole Mm. it's not just like single it's not like just you know this is the best site and this is the only site and it's just really fun to represent and work with other growers and represent Maryland as a region and kind of making wines from you know we do a lot of vineyard designations on 
bottle showing, you know, a single vineyard Cabernet Sauvignon grown in Hagerstown, which is 40 minutes west of where our home vineyard is. And it's just fun because it's a single variety from a single site and just doesn't happen to be grown by us, but it's still made by us. And it's just like a really fun way to showcase Maryland wines. Oh, that's so cool. Maryland is interesting. I think a big part of what we want to do in our heart for Maryland is the uniqueness of its geographic like lay of the land. And that if you drive an hour in any direction in Maryland, you're in a very different climate and soil type and place. And so you have, you know, the Eastern shore and sandy soils. You also have the Appalachian trail and and the mountain range with all of those soil types. So it's such a varying area that you really can work with the soils in such a unique way. And that's really fun for us. Although we don't necessarily own every single vineyard, we're able to work with these growers and showcase the fruit that they're growing in these different areas. So that's always been something we've really enjoyed doing. But those percentages are not exact. Okay. (laughs) Very year to year. It must vary according to what people have and the weather and all that Mm -hmm. stuff. For sure. As well as our new vineyard just came online this year in Clarksburg. Our other farm, Old Westminster is 17 acres. Burnt Hill is 117 acres. Um, So we have 30,000 vines planted there and about 10,000 planted here. So we just harvested all of the fruit this year, which was really exciting. Lisa had like first year jitters again. Oh my goodness. Uh, It was so (laughs) exciting. Just making all the wine. But that production has increased a good bit of just what we'll be doing with our, you know, the estate wines for Old Westminster and Burnt Hill, but additionally sourcing from the other vineyards. And like you said, depending on what we are able to get each year, it varies. So you don't own Burnt Hill just grow stuff there. Is that right? We own Burnt Hill. Yeah, we bought Burnt Hill in 2016. It's a second farm. We were at a point with Old Westminster five years in really that we had learned a lot at this vineyard site. We had learned that our farm here at Old Westminster is very conducive to white grape varieties. We really love growing Chardonnay, Albarino, the Chardonnay, which is a hybrid grape, Muscat, and we do have a bit of Cabernet Franc, but this site specifically is really well suited for white grape varieties. And we were looking for a site that we could specifically grow other grape varieties, red grape varieties, as well as Native American varieties and hybrids. And so we were looking for a very specific soil type. And we found that at Burnt Hill, which again, it's only 30 minutes south of us. So crazy. The soils are totally, totally different than what we have here. And And relatively, when you're on top of Burnt Hill, it's the highest point. You can see 40 miles in the distance. So it's really pretty views, of course, but it's just also relatively higher than anything else in that area, which really just helps growing some of those tougher great varieties that we like to work with. So it sounds like, as you said earlier, there's a huge diversity of soil types in Maryland, even within a sort of contained geographical area. Is that typical? Like, would you find that in France or is that unique to Maryland? Yeah, I think it's unique to Maryland for sure. Uh, Maryland is known as America in miniature for that exact reason, because of its unique soil type breakup and just how you have so many different You have the mountain range, you have, you know, all of the hiking trails, you have the Chesapeake Bay, you have the Atlantic Ocean. You just have so much uh, contributing to such a small square footage of a state. So yeah, I really do think that that contributes to a lot of the uniqueness of what we can farm with grapes, as well as a lot of other types of produce and livestock as well, which we've just begun incorporating into our farming as well with our, you know, we have a pizza program here at Old Westminster. So we're trying to feature Maryland, not only through the glass of wine, but also in how you pair that wine with 
different foods that are grown in Maryland as well. So I think it all contributes to what's unique about our state. That's very interesting. So uh, I was going to ask them to explain that word terroir. Is that a word y'all use? Yeah. So terroir is kind of how the impact of the soil type and other growing factors influence the way that grapes are grown and ultimately the wines that end up in a glass. Like Ashley said, it's There are so many unique influencers here in Maryland that it's hard to say, you know, this is Maryland's terroir because it's, it varies so dramatically across the state and really the whole East coast. I think it's that it's common with like coastal areas to have a lot of different influences. Yeah. I mean, the way that you describe terroir is kind of the influence of soil into Mm -hmm. on the grapes and eventually into a wine. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. soil and people. <laughs> yeah, and I guess weather patterns too, right? Sure, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. I kind of think it's like your microclimates of where the grapes are in the soil, and then also the people that are cultivating that. Yeah, I think it reflects all of those characters. So you mentioned your pizza program and some other fun things that are happening on the farm. So. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about that and like what the experience is like? I mean, I think our goal is just to create like a really fun experience for people to come and connect with Maryland agriculture and the land here in a unique and fun way. And so at our tasting room on the farm, we are sharing our wines, of course, uh, by the flight, we have by the glass and by the bottle. And then we also have started um, out of necessity of the pandemic and moving all of our operation outdoors and building essentially a little brick oven uh, a pizzeria around two brick ovens that we source from a restaurant locally that unfortunately was closed due to the pandemic. They were not able to make it. We were able to source these two seasoned brick ovens and, and we built a little program around it featuring at Burnt Hill. As I mentioned, it's just a little bit of a bigger farm. And so we grow the wheat. We have an apiary for bees. So we are um, harvesting some of the honey and we have a little mushroom farm there. And Drew uh, is growing about 30 woodland hogs. So he's got lots of really loved and cared for pigs that we love to feature here um, on the pizzas as well. So it's just like a very holistic approach of sharing what we're able to work with locally. The ingredients that we're using are from local creameries, the cheeses, of course, all of the produce is sourced from other local farmers as well. So it's really a taste of Maryland when you come because you can enjoy the wine and food literally from the land that's grown around you while you sit at one of our tables here. So it's really unique. Oh, that's so lovely. Yeah, that sounds so great. And how many people do you have working for you? How do you make all this happen? This sounds like <laughs> such a huge... Under the same thing. Yeah. yeah. We, uh, we work a lot. <laughs> uh, we wear a lot of hats as well. So Drew, Lisa, myself, and our team, our team is growing. So we are very thankful and excited and and honored to be able to create jobs for people mm-hmm. at the farm, like on a part-time basis at the tasting room. But again, that was kind of the heart of the pizza program too, was like so many restaurants were struggling in, yeah. in last year in 2020 that we had the means to create this pizza program and employ 12 part-time people with Mm. one full-time chef. And so that was actually an extension of like part of the value and the mission of that pizza program was to create jobs. So that's awesome. Our team has grown quite a bit, but we have about 13 full-time and 30 part-time or so in the tasting room. 
And do you have, I imagine there's some seasonal needs with fall harvest and stuff. Lisa, do you like have people come in and help? Yeah, we do. For the most part, we have, you know, our full-time team, like Ashley was just mentioning, some of our part-time staff will also come help in the cellar. We also have six guys who live with us nine months out of the year that are from Mexico. They're part of the H-2A program. It's a government agricultural program that provides jobs. So they live with us for nine months out of the year and work in the vineyard and cellar. And otherwise, yeah, it's just our team. Wow, you guys, I'm tired. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. So you've spoken a lot about this in so many words, but I wondered if you could talk about it more specifically as what is the role of sustainability at your operation in general? I think it's us trying to leave our farm in a better condition than we found it in all of the ways. So I think it's from the land stewardship. It's from having more than a monoculture, like we're growing more than just the grape variety. So diversifying what is grown and living on the farms that we are a part of and at least have our ability to contribute to. And also the sustainability of like our team and ourselves and how we are able to, the longevity of what we do as well, I think plays a big role in that too. So the passion projects that we have and the the things that we've added to the, to what we farm and what we grow and what we incorporate here all I think play a part in my mind to the sustainability of not only the farm of what we're growing, but also the energy levels and our team's ability to do this long term. So I think it's for us, it's a very holistic approach to making it a sustainable effort. Yeah. It's interesting when you first say the word sustainable, the first thing that I think of is what that means for us personally and for our teams, like, yes, also for the farms and, and what we're growing and what we're making and what we're sharing with our community, but it's also, you know, taking care of our people and just kind of like what the jobs here and like how they influence other people's lives and their families and, you know, their children and just kind of what it does as a whole community, even within our little small family business. I'm so glad you brought that in there because, you know, we, you know, we're soil nerds. So <laughs> we tend to we talk about sustainability in terms of oh, what's going in the soil and what's, sure. what's coming out of the soil and all that kind of thing. But you're so right. It is so true that it's sustainability is maintaining the whole. And it, from what you all do, the whole, the pizza program, my goodness, you're even growing your own grains. Mm-hmm. Do you guys have a mill and stuff? Yeah. We don't have our own mill, but we partner with a local Migrosh Farms. They oh, yeah. have a mill and it's another just kind of community collaboration that we're able to do. We love Migrash Farms. We get their flower too. Oh, yes. Nice. Yeah, that's awesome. Yes. That's so cool. So kind of dovetailing off of that conversation and question, we also talk a lot at Lady Farmer and on the Gooder about slow living. And so I'm wondering what slow living means to you, if you guys think about that at all or experience that at all. It sounds like it does. you don't. <laughs> but so I think my favorite time of the year is the time that we're in because I, I actually think slow living kind of like as the rhythms of the farm change, it kind of makes you like breathe a little bit differently as you actually see the physical nature's rhythms changing and just a time of year for us and our families. Uh, we have little ones. So Lisa has two young boys. My brother and his wife have three young children and I have a two-year-old daughter and one on the way. I'm due in December. Oh my gosh. Oh, wow. Oh no, we can't see at all. Wow. That's a fact. Uh, but I'm much larger on the lower half. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just kind of, for me, like the nature, the rhythms of life that change throughout the season. And like, this is always a time that I always reflect on, like even just that thought of slower living because summertime and spring, it's always like growth and mm-hmm. busyness outdoors. And then this time is kind of like, 
reflection and exhaling a bit. Yeah. yeah. And just a little bit more of that. So I think it's for me, this time of year is really just appreciating what we've been able to do as a whole this year and things we can do better next and looking forward. And yeah, just breathing a little bit more this time of year is kind of an important part for me. Yeah. I think slow living, it it means different things throughout different seasons, you know, harvest, we're just coming out of harvest. And so, you know, that is definitely like my busiest time throughout the year. And so coming into the holidays is kind of refreshing and slow living for me is spending the weekends at home with my family, which I don't get to do for, you know, the two and a half months of harvest. So I mean, it just looks different throughout the year. And this is kind of a, a fun time for that, like Ashley said, and then going into January, you know, in the wine business, you know, you have dry January, so mm-hmm. your farm's a little bit slower and it's just a time to gear up for the year to come and reflect on the year that's passed. So yeah, it's just yeah. seasonal. Yeah. The reason we close for three weeks in January is to give the team that works the tasting room all year, you know, we work, it's hospitality, it's food and beverage. So Mm -hmm. we were busy when other people have off. Um, And so it's really important for us to build in those times of respite, not only for ourselves, but also our team. And so we close for those three weekends because it's just family time. We want everyone to be able to have that kind of recovery time before we start planning for the next year and things. So, Well, I think too, a lot of things, just like the nature of the business that you're in, it's wonderful that you're just like intrinsically linked to the land and to those rhythms. I think a lot of people and a lot of most of the jobs that make up society, you know, don't take that into account. A lot of people don't have the privilege of working outdoors or with the seasons in that way. And so I think by that token, even though you guys are really busy and you're working amazingly hard, you have that sort of baseline of like having that connection with the natural cycles, which is inherently going to be slow and and wonderful. And even when it's not quote unquote slow, you're still are connected and it's part of the beauty of all of it. What does good dirt mean to you? To me, good dirt, this is such like a winemaker's like perspective (laughs) of it. But even when you like smell a glass of wine or how it reflects, like I think of like healthy soil and what that like smells like and how much effort goes into cultivating that and the care. So yeah, for me, I don't know. The good dirt just means laying a good foundation, making sure you have a good base. I think you guys do a really great job of this podcast. I mentioned that I had listened. I was a frequent listener. Thank you. I particularly enjoyed the woman that was uh, talking about natural dyes for Mm -hmm. clothing. And I thought it was so fascinating. And so much of even just like good dirt of what that means in my Mm -hmm. mind from what you guys are cultivating was you know, her working with things from the land and the soil to use in the dyes and clothing and things mm-hmm. like that. It was really just like a cool approach to me. So yeah, we love all of the beautiful ways that wine and good dirt are related. I immediately was drawn to thinking about Burnt Hill when we've been planting and picking. We had our first harvest, as Ashley mentioned, our first harvest from there this year. And on the very first day we were harvesting Pinot Noir and it's the first time we've ever made Pinot Noir grown here in Maryland. And we all went at like like six o'clock on a Sunday morning to harvest. And we took all of our kids and we got them up early <laughs> and they're, you know, running through the vineyard and they're covered, they're covered in dirt. <laughs> they're covered in soil. And you know what? I like, I stopped to think, and I, I often do this just of how we're just like cultivating and experience a, a life for them that mm-hmm. is like surrounded being out in nature. And, you know, we're farming in a way that we're not scared to let our kids run through the vineyard mm-hmm. and, yeah. you know, kind of experience like, 
this pure form of life and they're so young they don't even know <laughs> they don't even know that they're mm-hmm. that they're living this way but they're just you know they're covered from head to toe and to me like that's the good dirt <laughs> oh that's so awesome isn't that wonderful I mean there's so many farm settings where you couldn't let your children run through it you know the, right. because of the stuff on it right. <laughs> Oh, and for you guys, um, having grown up at that farm, but not like farming, I'm interested in like your perspective of that, like watching your kids grow up this way. Do you guys think about that? Oh, we didn't have that. I also think it's kind of a product of the 90s. There was a general unawareness of this farm rebirth that's happening. I feel like we were all kids at the same time in the 90s. So do you ever think about like how your childhood is differed from like the childhood that you're giving your kids through this lens? So different. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's really special. And I think part of us wants to make sure that that's what we're preserving and creating yeah. as a an environment that we feel comfortable with them indulging in and mm-hmm. learning and they will be learning how to harvest grapes <laughs> when they are now that's cheap labor <laughs> that's good yeah. <laughs> so they love the grapes so they don't have it in wine form yet but they yeah. all love the fruit itself and that's always just really fun but yeah it is a really cool experience and watching them kind of just they don't realize it yet but yeah. one day they will they'll love it they'll look back and be like that was really fun the way that we grew up so yeah hopefully <laughs> if we don't ruin them yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so can they eat the grapes directly off the vine can they just run around and grab them and eat them yeah yeah oh gosh sure. that's so wonderful so you don't spray the fruit at all we do um when needed Early. we treat them like children yeah. um so it's much more of like as things are needed drew is in the vineyard all the time so the grapevines are touched personally throughout the season multiple times throughout the year like each vine mm-hmm. and so it really it's not like a monday we spray this tuesday we spray this it's very much as things are needed or as weather is needed and we and we're using organic materials so we are we're very cautious of the sprays that we're doing but these are things that are comfortable being on the vineyard simultaneously as us living here and and being on the farm as well sure yeah I think people need to understand that the spraying in itself isn't a terrible thing you know people react to that it's totally you know what you're putting on it and why and how and all, all those factors go into that and it's also like people want to know, is it organic or not organic? But just because something's not organic doesn't mean it's not perfectly sustainable or even regenerative. And in the same way, even yeah. if it's organic, doesn't mean that you should just spray. Exactly. Right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right. And organic, that's not free of sprays either. People don't realize sure. that. There's all kinds of sprays allowed when you grow things, even certified organic. It's part of the thing. So yeah, sure. if y'all had a label for how you grow things... Like sustainable, regenerative, organic. Do you have a term for that? Do you have your own term? Or um, I definitely think Drew, who does the, our vineyard management, definitely prefers to look at it more of like a holistic approach of the whole farm. Regenerative. I all of these words they've been yeah. deemed with so many different labels now. Like mm-hmm. they're a label themselves, but then also within the label is more labels. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So I think that's really interesting. But I think Drew personally would just say we pride ourselves on it, and he does specific of really like intimately knowing the grapevines and what they need and not just systematically treating them. So if it's one extreme or the other, it's really customized care for the vineyards. And it's different between Mm -hmm. the two vineyards that we have between Westminster and Burnt Hill, which is, as I mentioned, it's only 30 minutes away, but that big of a difference in time also creates a difference of need of the vineyard. So I think it's just very intentional Mm -hmm. and intimate. Yeah. I like that. It sounds like you're very, very connected to it. You know, you have a really personal relationship and there's two vineyards. So, and they're not the same. 
For sure. So they're like your kids, kind of. <laughs> yeah, that's what you said earlier. Like, you treat them like kids. Yeah. That's great. I like the word uh, holistic. They're holistically grown. Yeah, for sure. That's good. I had a garden this year, and it, like, whooped my tail. And <laughs> Drew's farming, yeah. like, 40,000 grapevines, and my, you know, 12 <laughs> tomato bushes are quite the intimate experience as well. So That's awesome. So, like children, yeah. you have to learn to let the garden go. <laughs> you have to release it to whatever it's going to do. <laughs> if you come see my garden in light summer, you'll know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's the wild approach. I like it. <laughs> Is there anything else that you want to leave with our audience about yourself or about the work that you're doing? Anything you want listeners to like understand about what y'all are doing or wine or? I mean, I hope that what we've touched on is like, we really love what we're doing and what we're passionate about it, but we're also passionate about much more than just the winemaking itself. It's so much more about community for us and kind of showcasing not only our farms, but other local farms here through the wines, through the food program. And so I just, for us, it's like people and community mean so much to us. And we just really try our best effort to bring that community together for people to enjoy when they're experiencing mm -hmm. something from old Westminster. So as much as we love what we do, there's also other really great people doing awesome things. And we always want to show what they're doing too. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think important. one thing that we didn't like really get to touch on, but that's like really close to our hearts is since the very beginning of old Westminster, we set aside a dollar from every bottle sale to donate to charitable organizations. So it's been just really, really awesome to be able to everyone who purchases old Westminster winery is supporting something so much bigger than us. And it's just been like a really rewarding experience to be able to, you know, take give back. Yeah. To be able to give back and to see the lives that are being affected by what we're doing here on this farm. So, Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, I'd love to hear about some of the recipients of those funds. Yeah. So uh, last year was yeah. very specific just with like COVID relief efforts and some hospitality relief. It's gone more brought into this year we're doing with our wine club membership. Our wine club members can also participate in this. So we share with them. A lot of them know that this has been a mission of Old Westminster from the beginning of the charitable donations. And so we'll even incorporate them and matching their efforts of their year-end giving to double the impact. So it really does vary across all industries, but we do, we just, for the whole month of October, a dollar from every bottle that we sold in the tasting room is given to like breast cancer awareness charities. So it's really just a, a matter of where we can support in a timely and relative way. Yeah. Last year was really great in the pandemic started delivering wines in order to create job opportunities for our employees, which we were otherwise closed. Yeah. So we yeah. were essentially, you know, having them pack and deliver wines for people, which was great. And while we were delivering, we were also collecting donations from people who were receiving those deliveries and taking them to food banks and kind of acting as a middleman. And that was just like a really cool experience too, because you have all of these people who are purchasing your wine and you're delivering it to them. And then they're giving you food to take to the food bank. And it was just like a really, really awesome collaborative community effort. For sure. Amazing. Yeah, we've just gotten to see like a, a lot of really fun stories. Yeah, it. people realize they like really over purchased some canned goods and we were like, <laughs> we'll take some to the shelters. Oh, that's great. A lot of the food banks were, you know, short on supplies and things like that. And so we were out and visiting homes a lot, delivering wine. And so it just kind of, it evolved, but we were able to, to do that. So it was really, really cool. That's wonderful. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, y'all, this has been a really great conversation. Yeah. 
And I can't wait to get up there. I know. Please come. All right. So we'll say goodbye. And thank you so much for being on the show yeah, today, Yeah, we guys. really enjoyed it. Thanks for coming. Thank, thank you so much for having us. us. Yeah, we really appreciate it. All right. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, if you're anywhere in the DMV area, D.C., Maryland, Virginia, Pennsylvania, anywhere that they distribute old Westminster wines, I'm sure you are excited to go (laughs) try some of their wines now. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us this week on The Good Dirt. This was such a fun interview for us. And as we mentioned in the intro, we do have the Almanac is online at ladyfarmer.com if you're interested in any more topics and conversations and activities anything lady farmer good dirt related is there for you in the almanac and it supports the show it keeps it going every week so we really appreciate that and we really love getting to know you guys it's a really fun community that we have cultivated in there yeah we want to see y'all in there and help you realize your dreams yes thank you so much lisa and ashley and everybody else and we'll see you next week yeah cheers bye-bye you like listening to the good dirt i hope you do because you're here listening to it and are you looking for more good dirt in your life and a community of slow living enthusiasts to connect with all while supporting your favorite sustainable living podcast well we're so excited to offer the almanac it's our private slow living community network where we share workshops activities articles essays recipes and so much more that align with our community's sustainable slow seasonal way of living as a member you'll have access to information sharing and discussions on numerous topics of interest through online threads and frequent live virtual gatherings members receive access to a virtual community of hundreds of other slow living enthusiasts as well as Almanac-exclusive events, workshops, recipes, playlists, online gatherings, and a book club. We offer seasonal activities and ongoing discussions on a variety of topics to guide you on your slow living journey. Also included is 10% off the Lady Farmer Marketplace year-round, numerous resources and more, and discounted Lady Farmer events, including the Slow Living Retreat. As a Good Dirt listener, we are excited to offer you 20% off your monthly membership and three months free, which is basically an entire season, if you sign up for the year. So go ahead and go to ladyfarmer.com community to sign up with this special offer just for Good Dirt listeners. Yay! That's ladyfarmer.com community to sign up for 20% off a monthly membership of the Almanac for three months free if you sign up for an entire year. That's ladyfarmer.com community.